guys, welcome back to the Southeast News Podcast. It is Tuesday, December the 10th, 2019. On today's episode of the podcast, uh, we go to the mailbag, which uh, we haven't been to in a while here on the podcast. But as most of you guys probably have seen on Twitter by now, my writing and uh, the podcast is now in a new location. Uh, I explained it in the uh, first story that I did uh, on the the new spot, and uh, that is over at Substack, and you can learn all about that uh, by going over and checking it out. Uh, the website address is Blake Lovell, so that's my name, dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com, and you can check out uh, my writing there, which is uh, where my SEC basketball writing will be now. Moving forward, uh, it's a platform which I explain in the opening post. I would suggest going back and reading that, and I'm going to link that here uh, in the description, in the notes uh, for this episode of the podcast. So for any of you who have not uh, seen it yet, not signed up yet, uh, you'll have the link to be able to do that directly. Uh, But basically, it's a platform that's used for newsletters. Uh, So like anything, you get an email newsletter on something, uh, it sends to you, and you you read it directly from your inbox. You're able to get access to it. Uh, As soon as it goes up, you don't have to try to comb through social media to find it. Uh, You don't have to hope that you see it with all the confusing algorithms and such. Uh, on Twitter, you know, if you're not looking at Twitter, you may never see uh, some of the stuff that, that I post on SEC Basketball. So the easiest way to do that is just by having it sent directly to your email, and that's what Substack does. Uh, it lets me send these stories that I publish directly to your email. They do it. It's all automated. Uh, a very, very simple process. It's a direct, my writing to you. Uh, that's all it is. There are no you know, middlemen. There's no confusion. Uh, there's no having to actively go out and find it yourself. Uh, it'll be right there in your inbox. Anytime I publish anything, you'll have it directly in your inbox. And so I explained that uh, in the first post. Like I said, I'm going to link that in here if you haven't read it yet. Uh, If you have no idea what I'm talking about, uh, just click the link and you'll be able to read that post. Also subscribe. It's free. All you do is put your email address in. Like I said, it's a a free deal. Uh, It's something that you can just sign up for free and it goes straight to you. I did mention in the first post, eventually... Down the road, there could be sort of some some added incentives to where if you want to sign up for a paid subscription, get extra content, whether it's special features, uh, special podcasts uh, with people, you know, around SEC basketball, just uh, more in-depth stuff like a Patreon. You guys know about Patreon. Uh, It's very similar. It's just uh, it's a different platform. It's one I enjoy more than Patreon. Uh, So we're going to give it a shot here and uh, see how you guys enjoy it. A lot of great feedback thus far. You guys seem to really enjoy getting the stories directly to your email since everyone checks email. Um, So uh, it's off to a great start, and we've had a ton of subscribers already sign up. So, uh, again, throw your email in there. Uh, It's free, and that way you don't miss any of the podcasts or any of the written stuff that you have going up. Uh, If you're already subscribed to the podcast uh, within one of your feeds, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anything else you use, Nothing changes. You just get the podcast through there. Uh, I just publish them on Substack instead of publishing them uh, on Southeast Oops, on Clutch Points, the different places that I've been at. Uh, so it's very easy. No, no, nothing you have to do. If you just want to subscribe to the podcast, nothing changes. Uh, if you want to subscribe to the podcast and uh, get all the written stuff, uh, that's where you go to Substack to check all of that out. 
So that's what you need to know on that, but we will dive into what uh, you guys are here for, and that is the mailbag, which uh, will be back to being sort of a, a weekly, bi-weekly thing here on the podcast, and um, going to, to ramp that back up because you guys seem to enjoy that, and I always get a lot of fun questions, but they're not just uh, necessarily serious questions. There are some fun ones, and uh, we'll get to those as well. But let's go ahead and jump in uh, to some of the mailbag questions here for this week. Start uh, with Cole, who asks, what's Auburn's ceiling? So pretty simple, straightforward question. Um, with Auburn, I wrote about them in one of the first posts I did on the new Substack there, and... You know, I said, I think Auburn's the best team in the SEC right now. And uh, when you compare sort of what they've done to what other teams have done, Tennessee probably has the best wins uh, in terms of just their their two wins against Washington and VCU are the two best probably of any, any team in the SEC thus far. But I've just been most impressed with Auburn, and it's because they really haven't dropped off any from, from a season ago. And the thing is, uh, you know, yes, it's a different team. It's a different makeup. Uh, they have a different nucleus. You know, they're not a, building around Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, Chimo Kiki. Um, you know, they're building around Samir Dowdy and Isaac Okoro and Austin Wiley. So it's a different makeup in terms of how they're they're playing, but you're getting the same result. Auburn's just winning games, and I pointed this out. And one of the written things that I did, if you go back, we have to realize this. Auburn has not lost to a non-national championship team since February the 23rd of this year. So you have to go back to that loss at Kentucky. Uh, you know, Otherwise, you have the one loss to Virginia in the Final Four by a point. Auburn hasn't lost a game since the, that, that Kentucky went to anyone that has not been crowned the national champion. So um, you have to keep that in mind. It's just Bruce Pearl has just plugged guys in, and they fit exactly how they need them to fit. And, yes, this Auburn team has some things they're going to have to work on. There's some things that they're going to you know, have to be better at if they want to get back to being a Final Four type of team. So Cole asked about their ceiling. I think at this point we have to say, you know, yes, winning another SEC championship is certainly within reach. Uh, having a chance to win multiple games, go to the Sweet 16 and beyond, is within reach. Yes, they're different teams, but the the formula is the same, and they just keep winning. And that's what the game is about, is to win games. So, um, I don't know. I think a lot of people can look around and say, well, maybe this Auburn team just doesn't pack the same punch as the one from a year ago, but the thing is, it's, it's about your competition too, and I've said this, and some people don't agree with it. The SEC is not as strong this year as it was a year ago. It just, I don't know why the expectation really was that it was going to be, because you did have a lot of players that sort of exited the, the league, whether it was Jared Harper, Bryce Brown, Jim Kiki, uh, the rest of the guys on Auburn, Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, um, you know, the Kentucky guys. It just You had a lot of good players that left the league, and there's a lot of inexperience right now around the conference so how these teams grow is what it's ultimately going to come down to but the thing for Auburn is that they are one of the most experienced teams in the SEC because they do have all those seniors that have been there yes they have a lot of freshmen but they also have a lot of seniors who have been through this and understand what it takes to win and you don't have that in a lot of places around the SEC you don't have a large group of seniors like that who have had the kind of success that Auburn's had. So that's something to keep in mind with this team moving forward. Uh, it may not be as strong as the team last year. You know, maybe we can't position by position compare this team to last year's team. But the thing is, it doesn't really matter. That's not how it works. What matters is how do you, you know, play in this particular season 
uh, in this vacuum. And right now, Auburn's 8-0 and, to me, look like the best team in the league. So I think the ceiling is that they can win another league title, uh, they can win multiple games in the tournament, and, yes, another deep run, certainly possible based on what we've seen uh, thus far. The next question, uh, we go to the Florida Gators, and uh, David asks, uh, should Florida go more up-tempo versus their current half-court offense of standing in quicksand? So uh, I think it's pretty clear what David thinks about the Florida Gators' offense right now. If you look at the numbers, uh, they're 311th in adjusted tempo. If you're looking at Ken Palm here, they were 344th last year. Um, and you sort of look at the average offensive possession length and all that. And yes, I mean, they are, they're playing at a pace where they're, you know, offensively they're shooting about on average around 18 seconds or so. And, um, it's something where, how, what do you prefer? And I think it's something where, yes, Florida's offense has been the problem. And anyone who's watched them play understands that that's, that's the issue that their defense has been good enough uh, and it, it has been since Mike White's been there. I mean, their defense usually year in and year out is very, very good. And I pointed out the stat of that, you know, they finished in the top, I want to say it's in the top 25 or so in defensive efficiency uh, every single year he's been there. Right now in defensive efficiency, they rank 31st. But the offense has been the, the, the main theme to where the consistency hasn't been there on offense. And that's been the case really over the past several years, and we're seeing that already this year, to where this is just a team. Um, no, they're, they're not playing fast, and they're not making outside shots, and you're just having those scenarios where if they can't make shots, it doesn't really matter how good the defense is because they've got to find a way to have sustained offense against good teams, and we look at the games that they've lost against Florida State, against UConn, and against Butler. You know, they scored 62 points or less in all three of those games, so how do you sustain that offense against good teams? Now against Xavier, you know, they won that game 70 to 65. Um, you know, Miami, they beat by 20, 78, 58. And, and it's just, I don't think we're ever going to look at this Florida team as a team that's going to be regularly scoring 85 points a game. It's just, it, it's clear at this point, I, even as they're going to improve. I really believe that. But I don't think they're going to improve to the point to where we're seeing this team just being a pure offensive juggernaut. Whereas we went into the season saying, okay, if I, I look at this on paper, I see them adding Kerry Blackshear. I see, you know, the offensive development of that freshman group who are now sophomores. I can really look at this team and say, I could see this being a really good offensive team. They can still get there, but they're not going to be an offensive juggernaut because it just doesn't seem like, uh, you know, they, they certainly at this point do not have that perimeter scoring threat that, you know, you would love to have, uh, especially given how much a lot of other teams around the league are struggling from the perimeter. And we're going to get to another question on that in a second, but, uh, you know, until they get better there, yes, that's going to be an issue. And it's just making shots consistently is what you have to do to beat good teams. And the thing is, Florida has played the toughest non-conference schedule of any team in the SEC to this point. And it really doesn't get any easier until they, they kick off, you know, SEC play on January 4th against Alabama. They've got Providence next, and they've got Utah State. Uh, and then they finish up with Long Beach State uh, at home on December the 28th before they, they dive into league play. So Florida has sort of been in a position where they just haven't had a lot of places where they can build that offensive confidence because they've played a lot of good teams and you know whereas maybe you you schedule and you look at it and say okay well if we have three games in a row against you know subpar teams maybe we can find some things we can work on and really start to gain some confidence well the problem is they haven't really had any sustained stretch where they've played bad teams back to back or back to back to back 
And so it's just they haven't been able to work out these things. But the, again, the thing is, they're not going to have those stretches the rest of the season. Once they dive into SEC play, uh, we know how it is. I mean, they're going to have to figure it out on the fly. And how they, they sort of improve on some of this offensive stuff, uh, that will determine whether can you know can they be the SEC champion? Can they be a Final Four team? Which, yes, I'm willing to admit, I'm someone who thought Florida was a Final Four caliber team. A lot of people didn't. Uh, but I was someone that just looked at everything we saw on paper and said, okay, I can see it with this team. Uh, to this point, they haven't been there. Uh, they could still get there, but uh, it's got to really, you know, it's got to come on offense because I, I don't really have a lot of concerns with them on defense, uh, but they've got to find a way uh, to make more shots from the perimeter and have a chance, uh, you know, to put together that sustained offense uh, if they want to, uh, you know, have a chance to, to be able to, to be really, really good. So the next question from Kyle who asks, uh, how much does Blake love Auburn? Uh, you guys know, if you've subscribed to this podcast before, uh, you know the running joke that uh, Alabama fans accuse me of loving Auburn. Um, I don't really think a ton of Auburn fans accuse me of loving Alabama, but that seems to be the running joke, is uh, that Alabama fans on Twitter, have uh, they have fun with it. So they, they accuse me of loving Auburn just because, uh, I don't know, I guess they think I, I tweet too much about Auburn, but I think I equally treat, tweet about uh, Alabama. So, uh, no, we're just having fun with that and Kyle's having fun with that question uh, I did re- respond to Kyle on Twitter and told him that uh, you know we may need a two-part podcast for me to go into my my love for Auburn but no uh, I am not an Auburn alum uh, I'm not affiliated with Auburn uh, in any way no matter what Alabama fans uh, try to make you believe but no we we have fun with that on Twitter so uh, all right next question uh, is from uh, PK Simmons 28 that's his uh, username here he asks uh, the thoughts on the current hierarchy in the SEC a month in. Well, sorry, Alabama fans, I am going to go back to Auburn here for a second, but I've already talked about it. I do think Auburn right now would be the best team uh, for me if I did my power rankings, which I don't do my power rankings. And I'm probably going to start back up in conference play, but I never really do them when we we are looking at non-conference. I just think it's hard to sometimes compare uh, because teams play different schedules and all that. And it's just, yeah, you know, again, it's subjective anyways. It's an opinion-based deal. Everyone's going to have different thoughts on power rankings. Uh, I just don't ever put a lot into them. I mean, they they are what they are. They're fun to do, but uh, you know how it is. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, really, you know, is Auburn far and away the, the, the best team in the SEC? No, I, I don't think at this point they're far and away the best team in the SEC. You can put them in there with Kentucky. You can put them in with Tennessee. Um, you know, I'd, I'd even throw LSU in that mix. I think LSU is seven and two, but let's remember their two losses. Um, away from home to VCU, which, as we know, a very tough place to play. They lost that game by two uh, in the the Will Wade revenge game, I guess. And then they lost that neutral court game to Utah State, which they should have won. Um, So I think you take those two games out, which, again, they did play bad in both of those games. Otherwise, I've been really impressed with LSU, and I think they're going to be right there again uh, at the top. Uh, you can make the case for them you know, to be the whatever, second, third best team in the SEC right now. I wouldn't have a problem with that because uh, the, the potential's there. We've already seen it uh, with this team. And then you, know, you look at, at Florida. Is Florida in that mix right now? Probably not. I think you put Florida a little bit behind uh, some of those other teams just because of the, the offensive issues. And again, Let's remember, though, Florida has played the toughest schedule, so how do we exactly compare? And that's where it's an opinion-based deal. Uh, There is no exact science to say, well, Florida's 
better than Tennessee or Florida's better than LSU because they played this schedule or they played this team or that team. Uh, it's all of what do you see when you watch games at this, this point because these teams haven't played each other yet. Uh, once they start playing each other, then we get a really good idea of maybe how they compare, what are some strengths that certain teams uh, can put out there that are going to help them have an advantage over other teams, and what are the weaknesses that are going to hold some of these teams back uh, against other SEC competition. But for now, this is all we have to go on. So really, you know, yes, maybe you put Auburn there at the top, but I think Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, LSU are sort of all in that top range right now. I think I'd put those four teams ahead of everyone else. Um I know Arkansas is 8-1, but we did talk about that in one of the written posts uh, that I did uh, in that Arkansas just, I mean, they haven't played a, a tough schedule to this point. That doesn't take anything away from what they've done. They've dominated some of the, their opponents, and, and that's what you like to see a team do against, you know, subpar competition. Uh, but I think I want to see more from Arkansas in some of these games. So they did just lose this overtime game at Western Kentucky. So how Arkansas continues to improve, they'll be a team to watch, but having an 8-1 record, good place to be. And we mentioned Florida. Um, you know, some of these other teams, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, uh, they, they've had some good. They've had some struggles. Uh, so th- there's a lot to figure out in terms of the overall hierarchy, 1-14. through 14. But at the top, uh, I do think right now Auburn, Kentucky, Tennessee, LSU are probably the top four teams uh, in the SEC. In what order, that's subject for debate. Um, but uh, th- that's, that's just based on what we've seen thus far. And even Kentucky, like you said, I mean, Kentucky's lost at home to Evansville. So uh, we know this Kentucky team has not looked invincible to this point. So, and then you've had those other teams you know, near the bottom, like in Alabama, who has played a tough schedule. Alabama's 4-4, four and four, but you know, kind of like Florida, they've played one of the tougher schedules. I think those two have played the toughest uh, of anyone in the SEC. I'd have to break down the numbers, but when you just look at opponents, uh, you can look at it and say, yeah, I can see why maybe they've lost some of these games, but Alabama's got some things to figure out, too. Uh, same thing with, with all these other teams. So, uh, yeah, it's it's early, but uh, that's probably how I would look at it uh, right now with uh, just at the top uh, part of the conference. And that sort of segues into the next question from Timothy Garrett, who asks, uh, is Alabama better than their record? Which that's the first part of his question. Second part is a pretty strong schedule. So he's talking about Alabama. And he also asks, is it Auburn and everyone else uh, in basketball? Well, I just answered the last part in terms of uh, it's not Auburn and everyone else to this point. I think, you know, you can compare them to these other teams. And, um, again, it's it's a subjective thing. Uh, it's everyone's opinion based on what they've seen. Uh, but I would put Auburn at the top. But I don't think it's just Auburn far and away the best team in the SEC right now. Uh, you can make the case for Tennessee is the best team. Make the case for Kentucky is the best team. And, like I said, you could go on down the line there uh, and have different arguments uh, for some of these teams. So, uh, but on Alabama, it does kind of tie into what we just said, too, in that, um, you know, they have, that they played a, a tough schedule. And it's something where are they better than their record suggests? That's hard to tell because they did that one game against Penn. I think that's the one game you're really going to look at and say, okay, we, we really feel like we should be in a situation where we're sitting here at 5-3. and three. Uh, all things considered, because that road game at Rhode Island was tough. Uh, winning, beating North Carolina was always going to be a challenge. Beating Iowa State was always going to be a challenge. Um, but if you take away that pin game, you're feeling a lot better about being five and three because you've beaten the other teams you're supposed to beat. Uh, you have a couple, you know, good solid wins in there against Furman, uh, against Stephen F. Austin. I think Florida Atlantic's, you know, they'll eventually be a pretty decent team. I think. Uh, so all things considered, uh, you know, maybe five and three is where you would expect Alabama to be at this point, uh, because they have had some challenging games. Uh, that, that one true road game 
against Rhode Island and the two games uh, in Atlantis against uh, North Carolina and Iowa State. Now, I said this too, and uh, this is something I pointed out in a recent written post I did recapping the games from the weekend. I think the combined record, now this could have changed since so I've written it, but when I wrote it, the combined record of their next four non-conference opponents is 27-11. and 11. You know, Their next game is on the road at Penn State, then they've got to go to Samford, uh, then they've got Belmont and Richmond, which are two teams that no one loves to play. And Richmond's played really well this year. I think they've been somewhat of a surprise to people uh, with how well they've started. So Alabama doesn't have any gimmies left on the schedule, and they really haven't had any gimmies yet. And so uh, they're a team, and I know, I know, guys, we, we've had this conversation year after year, it seems. Um, but they're a team that's record probably isn't going to be just it's not just going to blow you away, but their strength of schedule is what's going to keep them uh, in that NCAA tournament discussion. Uh, you know, again, if we assume that they play well enough in SEC play to where they have you know a winning record in conference play, let's say they go ten and eight, uh, let's say they go nine and nine, are they in that discussion? And I know Alabama fans have hated being on that bubble, uh, but with the way things have started, uh, you do wonder if maybe they're in that same scenario. And then I'll say this too. I came in very high on Alabama, but I I was very high on Alabama at full strength. And at this point, we haven't seen Alabama at full strength. Um, You know, the two injuries they had before the season to uh, James Rojas and Juwan Gary, that hurt. Uh, They've had guys banged up. Beetle Bolton's been banged up. Alex Reese has been banged up. Herb Jones has been banged up. Uh, this is just one of those starts through eight games where they really haven't had uh, their nucleus, you know, all completely on the same page because they've just had guys that have been injured, and, and that's not an excuse. You know, teams play through injuries. Uh, you know, it's it's different how you adjust to it, but this is maybe more so than others in that it hasn't just been a couple guys. It's just been a lot of players that they were expecting to rely on. You have two of them that are already out for the season. You've had you know, three or so that have been dealing with injuries throughout the year and play, trying to play through it, uh, not at 100%. So it's hard to gauge where, where Alabama's at right now. Uh, but uh, they've got some things they've got to figure out. You know, they've got to, they've got to take care of the ball a little bit better. Um, you know, but, but otherwise, I think that they're still going to be right there in that mix, just depending on, uh, you know, how guys like Alex Reese and, you know, how John Petty continues to make shots. Um, all of those different things are going to factor in, but it's not the exact Alabama team we expected to see on the floor this year, uh, mainly due to injuries uh, to this point. So, Scott Wright asks, um, will Alabama continue to, comp- to improve and make, make the tournament? So that follows up the last one we just said. He, he says, you know, his spoilers that, yes, they will. Uh, it's going to be right there. I do think they'll continue to improve uh, making the tournament. Who knows right now? Because aside from really probably five teams in the SEC, um, I don't know who makes the tournament. And I've kind of said that. I don't know that, that the SEC gets back to getting seven teams in this year. Um, I don't know. It may be five or six. Uh, so depending on you know how some of these teams emerge, if there's other teams uh, around some of these top-tier teams that, that start to you know reel off a lot of quality wins in SEC play, then, then maybe they get there. But uh, right now, uh, it's, it's hard to know because you have sort of seen some teams leave some opportunities on the table uh, in non-conference play. And it's just a matter of, you know, how does the schedule fall and, and how do you make up for it once you get to conference play? So, Bogey is next. Uh, he has a question here on what are the chances we see the one-and-done rule amended? He said, I think the current rule as written 
is probably about the worst thing for college basketball in dealing with this issue. Uh, I think the chances are, are probably getting much higher than they were uh, in terms of doing away with this and finding a better solution. I agree. I've always thought the one-and-done rule was pretty pretty dumb. I just don't really see uh, the point in forcing a, a kid to go to college for one year. Uh, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And a lot of people have offered different solutions. Uh, you know, you can understand the argument to say, well, uh, if you're not going to go, then, you know, you go to you go to the pros, you, you go, whether it's NBA, whether it's overseas, whatever you want to do. If you do decide to go, you know, maybe you, you have to go for two years or, or this. I just, the one year thing, it's just, it's never made any sense. It just, I don't understand it. Um, it's one of those where ah, we'll see how it plays out, but you do feel like we're getting much closer uh, to seeing this where a much better solution probably going to be on the table and uh, give kids an opportunity to go straight out of the high school if they want to go, if that's what they feel they should do, if they get that advice, uh, then that's the decision they make. And uh, otherwise, you know, maybe they go to college, maybe they have to stay two years, three years, whatever. Uh, I know a lot of people have looked at it with, with different models and different sports. Um, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. It's going to be pretty fascinating because uh, it is. I just don't I don't see the value in this this one and done rule right now. I don't, I don't really think it it does a whole lot uh, for for much of anyone to, to be honest. But that's my personal opinion. Everybody else has a lot of different opinions on that. So um, that, that's an argument we've been discussing for years. And uh, until maybe some changes are made, uh, it's one we're going to continue to discuss uh, here moving forward. All right, several more questions here uh, for this one. And, and Bogey's actually got another one, which uh, I think is pretty fascinating. Not an SEC question, but I know it's one people talk about a lot. Um, odds on favorite to replace Coach K. And he says, I think it's coming sooner than most people realize. Yeah, it's uh, that, now that's a fascinating question because you talk about stepping into a, a great man's shoes. Um, this is going to be that case once he does eventually decide to retire. Uh, for me, there are three names that, that probably stand out uh, above the rest in terms of you know who are the ones that ultimately wind up uh, replacing him. And you've seen these three mentioned, and and I do think it. You have to remember this. I would be very surprised if Duke just goes out and hires someone with no connections to Duke whatsoever. It's just, it's not going to happen. Like, I can't see any scenario where they go out and hire someone that does not have any ties to Duke. You know Coach K is going to have input on the next coach. Um, and so for me, I think the three guys that probably stand out the most, uh, maybe you throw a fourth in there. I may even go to five. It's just because you can, you can make sense of all these different guys. Uh, Wojo, of course, at Marquette. I mean, he's, he's doing a good job at Marquette. Uh, we all kind of remember his legacy there as a player, as an assistant coach. Uh, he's, he's having success. So that's good. Bobby Hurley's the same way at Arizona State. I mean, he's someone that most people look at. They see, you know, what he's been able to accomplish, and um, I think I would be obviously it would make sense uh, to have him as a possible candidate. Um, you know, others I think coaches like Jeff Capel, who's at Pitt now. Uh, you know, he he did have some success. Uh, things didn't end the way he wanted to at Oklahoma, but uh, I feel like he probably certainly has consideration because he was a big part uh, of that that program as a player and as a staff uh, on that staff. You know, as a recruiter and that type of stuff. So those three guys are probably the three that stand out the, the most to me. Uh, but then you throw in you know, Johnny Dawkins, Tommy Amaker. You know, Dawkins has had success at Central Florida. Amaker has got a good team at Harvard. He's kept building up there. So 
maybe you say you feel like it's going to be one of those five, uh, probably those top three. I think in that in that order were the ones that that I would say probably get the the most sort of uh, consideration, but. Uh, I don't know. It's going to be fun to see how that whole thing plays out because, uh, yeah, it's uh, that's quite a big job. And uh, stepping in to, to try to, to follow Coach K is not going to be easy uh, no matter who the choice is. So, um, All right, MU Royals asks, how much is the league and national shooting down from the extended three-point line compared to last year? As a Mizzou fan, it feels drastic, but maybe that is just the Tigers that are struggling with it. No, it's not just Missouri that's struggling with it. And actually, uh, I'm going to use this as a bit of a teaser because I've started writing something on this exact scenario here, on uh, this exact situation. Because three-point shooting is down, uh, not just for Missouri, but it's down for a lot of teams in the SEC. And quite frankly, the SEC has a lot of bad shooting teams right now. Um, and I would have to, I haven't gone as far as to compare the SEC shooting from top to bottom if you go through team by team and compare it to team by team in other conferences. But looking at the, the raw numbers for the SEC in terms of three-point percentage, uh, there are a lot of bad shooting teams. And uh, it is. It's an adjustment. And you have seen you saw coaches going into the season. You heard them say it. It was going to be an adjustment for, for certain players. And it was going to be an adjustment for teams as a whole. Uh, because it does make a difference. And right now, I'm looking at the numbers right now. I'm not going to spoil this completely because I'm going to do, like I said, a more in-depth written post on this. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of teams in the SEC. I want to say there are maybe five or six teams that are ranking in like the 300s nationally in three-point shooting percentage right now. And, And even the teams that aren't, there are a couple that are pretty close to that range. So probably close to half the SEC uh, is really in that bottom tier in terms of, of three-point percentage. Now, I will say this. The SEC hasn't you know, traditionally been a great three-point shooting team if you just com- or three-point shooting league, excuse me, if you just compare top to bottom, one through 14, the SEC hasn't been the, the greatest in terms of just pure three-point shooting. I'm looking at Ken Palm's stats here. Last year, uh, the SEC was 23rd in the nation as a conference at three-point percentage, so the average was 34.3%. And I'll kind of include that in the article, too. Uh, You know, you looked a year before, the SEC was 28th in terms of leagues around the country, uh, shooting 34.3%. So it it shouldn't be much of a surprise that the league has taken a hit uh, from the perimeter because uh, the line's scooting back. And, And I think it's a situation where, you know, that's something that, that we see how some of these teams evolve because it is something that's going to hold back some of these teams that haven't been able to adjust uh, to, you know, what it is. And there are some really good shooting teams from a season ago uh, that aren't necessarily shooting as well. Now, there's one team in particular that has not had a drop-off whatsoever and kind of has stayed in that same range in terms of where they're at nationally, and that's Mississippi State. And Mississippi State, at least from the numbers I have right now, shooting 38.2% from three and that ranks 35th nationally or it did when I put these numbers down I think I was working on this uh throughout the weekend and on Monday so uh Mississippi State has kind of held held okay I mean they're doing okay and there's a team like Vanderbilt too who's been drastically better from three-point range uh, than they were a year ago but for the most part a lot of teams are shooting it worse and uh for some of them it's a pretty sizable difference in terms of percentages so I'll go into that more on the uh, the written thing I'm going to do. So that gives you some guys, you know, for some of you guys who want some incentive to sign up. I'm going to be writing about that 
uh, and the inexperience in the league. Uh, that's something, too. We, we've talked about going in, uh, and the numbers in terms of just the overall inexperience is something very intriguing as well when looking at maybe trying to find a reasoning for some of these early struggles uh, that teams have had. So, uh, yeah, be sure to subscribe to uh, the, the Substack. And, again, the link will be in the show notes, blakelevel.substack.com. Uh, if you want to go to it directly, but uh, that will sort of give you a better idea and you'll be able to look at all the numbers uh, on there for that. All right, and we wrap up uh, with our regular listeners know, uh, I'm sorry, I love all your questions, but there are never any questions as unique as those that come from the chimp. And that is Chimp Carry on Twitter. Uh, his handle is at Carry C-A-R-A-Y. Chimp, uh, he always brings... Uh, the most intriguing question. He brings the ones that makes me think really, really hard uh, because they're pretty uh, interesting ones, uh, that's for sure. All right, as we know, Chimp usually has several questions, and I'll probably get to a couple of these. Uh, we may save some of the others uh, for the next uh, edition of the Mailbag. But uh, we start off with his first question here, and his first question is, the SEC coaches are participating on the crappy TV show Survivor. Who is voted off first? Why? Who wins and why? All right, Chip, I, I put a little bit of thought into this, and uh, I didn't really think too long and hard about it, but I did put a little bit of thought into it. Now, I haven't watched Survivor since legitimately like the second season, so that was like, what, probably 2001 or something? Uh, I have no idea. It's, I know that show's been on forever. Uh, but when, when I thought about who are the guy, who would be voted off first? Now, if you assume that everyone's coming together to try to vote off the guy that maybe they see as the biggest threat. So let's say they use that methodology. They want to vote off the person that they think is the biggest threat to winning this whole thing. Um, I would say uh, it's, it's tough because I went back and forth between a couple of guys in particular. Frank Martin or Jerry Stackhouse. And because... I mean, these guys are, <laughs> like, they are, and I'm not saying no one else is tough, but, like, when you see sort of the me mentality of these two guys, uh, I mean, look, Frank Martin's a former bouncer, and if you're having to be out here on Survivor, I feel like you want him around because, uh, I mean, look, this guy's going to be able to, to overpower uh, any wild animals or anything like that because of, of his bouncing background, but, um, you know... So so maybe you don't vote him off, but if you want to say, like, who's the biggest threat, who would win, I don't know, man. Like, Frank Martin, I'm not betting against Frank Martin in any of these scenarios. But then again, I did say this, too. Jerry Stackhouse, I mentioned him. Um, you know, maybe Jerry, he's a little younger than Frank Martin. And, uh, I mean, we know Jerry Stackhouse has been through the grind of playing many, many years in the NBA um, you know, he's got the, he's got the stamina, he's got the toughness, uh, he is, you know, of the SEC group, I mean, he's still sort of in that, that younger range of coaches, uh, so maybe, you know, you look at Jerry and they feel like, hey, we gotta get rid of this guy right away, uh, because, uh, he's just, I don't know, like, like, he's got that, he's that bulldog mentality, so, uh, I don't know, uh, clearly these are just answers I'm coming up with off the top of my head, so, uh, as always with Chip, it's fun. Who would win? I don't know. Chip. Maybe I would go with one of those two guys. Maybe I'd go with Frank Martin, Jerry Stackhouse. Um, but I know everyone else is going to have their own opinions. But I would love to hear some of your other reasoning on this of why some of these guys would win. Chip's questions aren't just for me. They open up a whole other discussion here. 
Um, so, so give me a reason as to why you think uh, your favorite coach would win this thing. Uh, so if you're an Arkansas fan, why, why would Muss win this, uh, this coach's survivor? Uh, if you're a Missouri fan, why would Conzo win? Um, you know, Ole Miss, why would Kermit win? Or, or on down the line. Buzz Williams at Texas A&M. Maybe he's sort of an underrated one uh, in this whole mix team. But there you go. So I feel like my answer to both of those questions in terms of who's voted off first and who would win are sort of the same. Uh, because if everyone's trying to get rid of the guys they think are going to win, uh, maybe I'd go with uh, with Frank or, or Jerry Sackhouse there. So that's question number one. Uh, question number two. You are hired to be the color analyst on the SEC game of your choosing. What game are you choosing and why? Also, which play-by-play guy are you going to pick to do the game with you? So I'm the color analyst. I first off need a play-by-play guy. Well, I know what Chimp wants me to say. He wants me to say Roxy Bernstein, but uh, I'm not going to pick him because he doesn't really do SEC stuff. Um, so I guess you've really only got, I mean, you've got several choices because, you know, we have the team-specific stuff. Now. So you have a lot of uh, sort of team-specific broadcasts where, you know, you have the, the local school broadcasts where you've got, uh, you know, you know, it's a different, different commentators and all that. But let's say we take from the guys, uh, the national guys, you're probably looking at, uh, you know, Dave Neal, Tom Hart, um, there's other guys that, that I'm forgetting. Uh, so I think ones like that, I know Carl Ravage does, uh, or he did, he did do some of the, the bigger SEC games. Uh, if we can't have my guy Brad Nessler, who, as we know, is with CBS now, uh, I feel like that would be, that would honestly probably be my, my first choice because he did have all those games in SEC. Uh, so it's a, it's a tough one. Uh, otherwise, I mean, you know, Tom Hart's not, not a bad choice. Dave Neal's not a bad choice. Um, it would sort of been a much easier question, Chip, if you would ask me uh, if I'm the, let's say I'm the play-by-play guy and I have to pick a color analyst. We all know I'm going with Bill Walton, and I don't care that he doesn't do SEC. Uh, I would pick Bill Walton uh, with all of them, and, and I love all the different ones, uh, you know, all the SEC ones that we have. Uh, my guy Pat Bradley, uh, Andy Kennedy does an awesome job now. Uh, go up and down the line. Uh, Damian Fishback, but my guy Bill Walton would have been the first pick. Uh, if I was the uh, the play-by-play guy and had to pick a, a color analyst, so I don't know, Chip. That's a tough one. Uh, I probably have to, you know, weigh some different options on that one a bit more. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I, I don't really know the answer to that one uh, just yet. I have to. I have to have a full roster. So if uh, someone has a full roster of the the SEC uh, network basketball, I just I listen to so many people because I watch all these games. But it's like there's just there's a lot of different ones and uh, it's hard to choose from. So uh, sorry, Chip. That that answer probably not as good uh, as the first one for you. So uh, all right, uh, that'll wrap it up, guys. A a very uh, full mailbag uh, this week. Uh, lots of great questions. We covered a lots of different topics. And uh, like I said, if you want more SEC basketball stuff, uh, you can now find it at uh, Blake Level, my name, dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com. Uh, check that out. Uh, as soon as you get there, if you're someone who hasn't seen it before, all you do is throw your email address in. Uh, you can read everything, and uh, it's all free. So uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, that way you don't miss any of the stuff uh, that uh, you know that I post there, and, and it does. It goes straight to your inbox. Uh, no having to actively seek it or try to find it on Twitter. Uh, you will have it directly in your inbox. So when you check in your email, it'll be there for you. 
uh, when I post uh, new stuff over there. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can do so if you you're not already subscribed to you know to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. Uh, you can do that just by simply subscribing uh, to the Substack. Uh, you'll get all the podcasts in your email as well now. So uh, very simple, very way, good way to to cover everything, written and podcasts, uh, is to sign up there with that. And uh, like I said before, I really appreciate everyone who subscribed this far. Really, and I don't, I'm not just saying this, but I've had a lot more subscribers than I expected to have uh, right away on a new sort of project like this. And uh, that just shows me that a lot of you guys really care about SEC basketball coverage, and uh, I appreciate everyone who continues to follow uh, my SEC basketball coverage uh, here and has over the past several years. So, uh, again, thank you to you guys for that. Uh, but, yes, subscribe there. Uh, check all that out. Uh, follow me on Twitter at the Blake Level. Best way uh, to get uh, you know some random thoughts that aren't in written or podcast form. Uh, so be sure to follow me on there as well. So uh, thanks, as always, for listening, and I will talk to you guys next time.